0: Morning. For those of you that don't know me, I'm Deborah. And this morning we're going to continue with the series that Paul began last week, Know Your Enemy. Now then, if you missed Paul's talk, I really suggest going back and watching it. And if you did watch it, how did you get on with the homework that Paul set? Thanks for that, Paul. Last week, Paul talked about how Satan is our enemy, and he's the father of lies. We learned that lies are the enemy's most oft-used tool as he seeks to disrupt our lives. And this morning, we're going to expand our perspective of the enemy a little bit. We're going to develop something called a theodicy. Now then, a theodicy is part of our theology. What did I just say? Let's just be really clear. The word theology means our talking about or our discussion of God. And as part of that talking about God, a theodicy is a way of answering the question of evil's existence in the world. Now, when we come to faith, At some point, we're going to find ourselves looking at the question, if God is all good and all powerful, then how come there's so much wrong in the world? And that's where our theodicy comes in. It helps us attempt to answer that question. We can't ignore that question because that would be a bit naive. And we also need to remember that any answer to the question of evil or any discussion of God is not going to be entirely perfect because God is not fully knowable. Now then, excuse me, Satan is the father of lies, absolutely, but deceit is not the only way he disrupts our lives. And This morning we're going to talk about other tools in the enemy's toolkit as we attempt to build a three-point theodicy. Our three points are this. Number one, sickness and death. Number two, natural evil. Number three, chaos. Before we get too far into it though, let's have a look at some biblical context. God cannot go against his own created order of things. So there will never be a round triangle or a married bachelor, for example. And part of God's created order of things is free will. Free will is what we exercise when we come to faith and choose to follow Jesus. It's right at the heart of what makes life good. When we exercise free will, we make a choice. In every decision we make, we are exercising our free will. When we choose to love someone, when we choose to honour ourselves by looking after ourselves too, in the way that we care for ourselves, in the way we care for our families, in the way we care for those around us. Without free will, we'd be like robots doing everything at the bidding of a higher being, in this case God, and life would look and feel very, very different. In fact, I doubt that feelings would even exist in the way we understand them. And then we also wouldn't be made in the image of God, who our Bible tells us has feelings, and that's important. So let's hold fast to God having feelings too. Now then, Let's stick with God's created order for a moment. If we read our Bible then we'll also find that in this created order we've got a physical reality and we also have a spiritual reality which is just as real as our physical reality. And there are spiritual beings who occupy the spiritual reality. Now then they're real and they also have free will. It can be easy to dismiss some of those slightly less comprehensible accounts in our Bibles as Oh, well, they used demons and angels to describe things they didn't understand, but actually now we know better, so we don't need to think that way anymore. The beings in the spiritual reality have got just as much power to act and affect our physical reality as us human beings do. And us human beings, we also can interact with and affect the spiritual reality. Now then, if you look in your Old Testament, if you go to the book of Daniel and then turn to chapter 10, we're gonna have a little look at what's going on here. You might not have spent a lot of time in this part of the Bible before, and that's okay. In Daniel chapter 10, Daniel hears there's going to be a war. So he begins to fast and pray for three weeks. That's some very serious fasting and praying. On the 24th day, three and a half weeks in, a spiritual being turns up, and he's definitely not a human from Daniel's description of him. And he says to Daniel, from the first day you set your heart to understand, and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. So this being has come to speak to Daniel because of Daniel's prayers. Not only that, let's listen to what else he has to say. I think this is an angel. He goes on to say this, The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, and Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. Daniel's answer to prayer then is delayed because a spiritual being, in Persia in this case, stops the messenger and holds him up. Daniel's prayer wasn't answered because a spirit held it up. Now then, so that delay wasn't according to God's mysterious purposes, but because of that bad sort in that spiritual reality. Not only that, but right at the end of chapter 10, Gabriel, his name is actually, tells Daniel that on his way back, he's got to deal with the prince of Persia again and his Greek equivalent. It's kind of an odd story but it's there for a reason. We need to know about these things and if that kind of thing happens to Daniel it can happen to us too. Remember Paul told us last week that the enemy's principal tool is lies but that's not the only tool he has to disrupt our lives. So let's look at what else. These spiritual beings that affect us in our lives here in our physical reality not only can they affect us and our physical reality but it goes the other way we humans can affect their spiritual reality. If we stick with our Bible, let's go forward into our New Testament. Let's flip forward to Mark, and let's go to chapter nine. We meet a father who tells Jesus his son has a spirit that makes him mute. Not only that, the spirit seizes the boy, throws him down, and the poor boy foams and grinds his teeth while laying rigid. Notice then that the father tells Jesus the evil spirit also has physical consequences. He tells him of how it's been throwing the boy into fire and water to destroy him most of his life. Remember what I said earlier how we can dismiss the description of evil spirits in the Bible as the ancient Near East way of describing things they didn't understand then but now we do so we just gloss over these descriptions of spiritual beings or evil spirits. But let's look in Mark chapter 9 verse 14 onwards Jesus doesn't just perform a healing He doesn't just say, take up your mat and walk with one simple instruction. In this passage, Jesus performs an exorcism and it works at the same time as the physical healing. In verse 25, Jesus says these words. He says, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. Jesus is addressing a spirit, a personified entity, calling it a mute and deaf spirit. He's not addressing the boy with those words you mute and deaf spirit. Now then, if you need a bit more of Jesus casting out demons and healing, feel free to turn to Luke 13, a bit further on. In verses 10 to 16, and there you'll find Jesus healing a woman who's been bent over for 18 years. Our Bible describes it as a disabling spirit. And again, when Jesus addresses her, he says, woman, you are freed from your disability, and she was healed. Freed from her disability? Isn't that an interesting turn of phrase? So, as you look through the Gospels, you'll see Jesus healing and you'll find that connection between Jesus casting out demons and healing. And they're really powerfully connected ideas. For Jesus, and then so for us too as his followers, sickness and suffering are not imposed by God. They're not from God. They're not God's will at all. Sickness and suffering are the work of the devil. Jesus believed that. So did the early church fathers. So what we're saying then is just as we have been created with free will, to do as we wish, so have these spiritual beings been created with the same free will. Both humans and spiritual beings are fully capable of good and of evil. The physical reality and the spiritual reality, they overlap. They are distinct, but they overlap and they do affect each other. So free will means that some beings are for God and some are for his opposite number. Jesus tells us in John uh, chapter 10, verse 10, that the enemy seeks to steal and kill and destroy. So our first point then in our three-point theodicy is this. Spiritual beings have the ability to inflict human beings with physical and mental illness. Jesus himself warned us of the enemy's mission, and we would do well to not discard his words. Let's stick with this point a bit more about physical reality and spiritual reality overlapping because it's important. The evil that is inflicted, that destruction and that death that Jesus describes, does not solely affect humans. If we watch any of the myriad documentaries available to us about the natural world, we see very, very quickly that the animal world is a violent and cruel place also filled with suffering. Now, let's pay a visit to Charles Darwin. He's one of the Victorian era's greatest scientific minds. While studying the ignumian wasp, which lays its eggs in the body of a living host, and then the larvae hatch out and devour the host from the inside out. While studying this particular delight of nature, Charles Darwin found that he began to struggle with his faith. And he wrote a letter, and he said this. He said, I am bewildered, had no intention to write atheistically, but I own that I cannot see as plainly as others do evidence of design and beneficence on all sides of us. There seemed to me too much misery in the world, I cannot persuade myself that a beneficent and omnipotent God would have designedly created the ignomium wasp with the express intention of their feeding with the living bodies of caterpillars. Or that a cat should play with mice. What a book a devil's chaplain might write on the clumsy, wasteful, blundering, low and horribly cruel works of nature. We can see his point. If we go back to our Bible, if we go back to the book of Romans in the New Testament, just after Acts, In chapter 8, Paul tells us this. In Romans 8, verses 19 to 22, Paul says, For creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of God. For we know that the whole of creation has been groaning together. In the pains of childbirth until now. God subjected creation to free will in the hope that it will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of God. Which means then it's not just human beings that are restored in eternity but all of creation. Again that makes sense. Our friend Charles Darwin the ignomium wasp is not the only thing in creation that is actively damaging. Animals are only one aspect of nature. We see hurricanes, tornadoes, earthquakes, volcanoes and tsunamis. And some of these take place absolutely because of human disruption. But almost all of these existed in some sense long before us. Nature is as full of abject suffering as the human race. And why is that? Well, back to those two overlapping realities, physical reality and spiritual reality. The early church believed and argued uniformly that spiritual beings were created free and, like human beings, have been given influence and responsibility in the world. Spiritual beings can affect matter, they interact with the physical reality and they're not entirely limited to the spiritual reality. Some of these spiritual beings are against God. So then our second point in our three-point theodicy is this. Spiritual beings have the ability to affect the natural order, creation itself, with evil, evil, suffering, and even death. So then our third and our final building block in our theodicy is this. As we grapple with the question of, God is all good and powerful, why is there so much wrong in the world? Our third and final block is chaos. Now, you don't have to be a mathematician to understand what I'm going to say next. And before I go any further, let's remind ourselves that we seek balance in the way we view life. So whilst it's important to take the spiritual reality and the supernatural very seriously, we do so without becoming the type of people who blame the devil for every cough and headache or parking ticket. So as we seek that balance, it's really right that we talk about chaos. What chaos reveals to us is this. Any complicated system can be hugely affected by something really small happening, seemingly insignificant. The slightest variation at one point in a really complex process can cause a massive, massive variation at another point in that process. Are you still with me? This is what's known as the butterfly effect. You know, the theory that describes the butterfly's wings in one part of the globe can cause variations in air movement that bring about a hurricane somewhere else much, much later on. Now then, what does that have to do with our theodicy, you might be asking yourself? No, don't worry, I'm not going to lay down some theory that butterflies are evil. Chaos and the butterfly effect matter, because very simply put, according to the Bible, everything is a bit broken. It's all bent out of shape. And creation has paid a price too. Freedom is, has been, and until Christ comes again, will be used for evil as well as good. Freedom is used for evil as well as good. And we all kind of got a story to tell, don't we? Somewhere, a really simple act like a cutting word or some kind of lie that you tell in passing, fractured relationship. None of these seemingly minor things exist in a vacuum. There are consequences. One action sets in motion ripples throughout the universe, and those ripples meet with other ripples. And like the butterfly effect, our world is broken and suffers because of these complicated patterns of chaos. One minor act sets in motion ripples that mix with other ripples. And in those complicated patterns of chaos, we all end up suffering. So those are our three building blocks. And so I want to move on to describe two kinds of evil influence and involvement in your life and the world. Because we kind of need to know what we're dealing with. So the first is direct evil oppression, which is really simple. Like the exorcism stories of Jesus, where he speaks directly to an evil spirit. And those things kind of still happen in the world today. And I'd include here as well other horrific happenings, mass shootings with no motive, child abuse, all the things we look at and we think, that is just not right. And the second then is indirect evil activity, which is any and all kinds of evil that may not be energized by Satan or an evil spirit, but even so are demonic because, very simply, evil itself is demonic. So what do we do then as followers of Jesus? Well, we follow Jesus' example and we recognise what is evil and where does it come from? It doesn't come from God, but it comes from his enemy, Satan, and those who are against God and God's purposes in the world. One of the most essential aspects in knowing our enemy and our fight against evil then is understanding what does the devil do and what does the God do. And understanding that what the devil does and what God does, those two are never ever alike. Let's remember Jesus' words in John 10. The enemy comes to steal, kill and destroy. I, Jesus, have come that you might have life and have it to the full. That's the distinction. Radical, radical, extreme opposites. God's purpose for you is not death and suffering, it's life. When something vile happens and we hear those well-meaning platitudes like God is in control, that's not really okay, and I just want to touch on that, too. Here are some more points for us to lay hold of this morning. God cannot sin, God cannot be tempted, and God cannot violate the law of contradictions, which means He cannot declare that we are truly free and then also not free. If we're truly free, then God, God excuse me, cannot intervene so we can only go this way and not that way. If God intervenes like that then we end up not truly free. And that's built into the very definition of free will. And what that means for us is we're confronted with this life that is filled with goodness and evil and is just a bit chaotic. Now then, we're not without hope. We've had a tough topic this morning, but it's really important to try and look realistically at the world that we live in. And all is not lost, there is great, great hope. Our story's not over. Our story is one of pursuing love and victory. Jesus has already rescued us. His love, his incarnation, life, ministry, work of the cross, and the resurrection—he's won the victory over death and evil. And we get to join the story partway through. Now, then, not so long ago, we celebrated VE Day, which actually took place on the sixth of June, nineteen forty-four. That's when the Allies fought their way up the beaches through Normandy. But the war wasn't declared over until a year later in 1945. Historians without fail agree that this was the pivotal moment on which the Second World War turned and meant that VE Day would be declared a year later. It's slightly flawed, but in this post-resurrection, now not yet time in which we live, we're like the Allies, fighting until our own Victory Day is declared. A few years ago, I was very fortunate to go on a silent retreat by an Ignatian community on South Coast. I was assigned a coach whose role was to spiritually direct me through my silence. On my last day, she told me how the enemy fights hardest when he knows he's beaten. And she called it the flick of the serpent's tail. She explained to me that as he's leaving, slinking out the door, because of his very evil nature, because it's simply who he is, he wants to cause more destruction on his way out, more mess to clean up, more breakage, more damage, just because that's who he is. Now, what does that sound like? sounds a bit like our world today. So what do we do then? Well we really need to know what's of God and what is not. Remember God is about life and his enemy is about destruction and when we hear those platitudes about God being in control I wonder how God feels about that when it's something vile. Remember we talked about God having feelings, I wonder how he feels and what's more I don't think that God is in control of vile happenings. I don't think there's any atrocity that God is okay with I want to talk briefly, as we come in to close, about the 2011 tsunami that happened in Japan. I don't know if you can remember it. How can we begin to understand what's of God and what's not if we impose on God the story of destruction of that 2011 ja- um, Japanese tsunami? Thousands died and lost their homes and businesses. That's not God's mysterious purpose. Nearly 70,000 people died and many people stood up, many, many people stood up and attributed this event to God and God's control. Now then, there's no judgment if our perspective hasn't been quite accurate, but let's just try and shine some light on this. One theologian, David Bentley Hart, in particular, he was so deeply, deeply troubled by this claim that the tsunami was in God's control. He wrote a book, and he called it The Doors of the Sea, and it was a huge criticism of this idea of God being in control of all things. He said this. He said, if indeed there were a God whose true nature whose justice and sovereignty were revealed in the death of a child or the dereliction of a soul or a predestined hell, then it would be no great transgression to think of him as a kind of malevolent or contemptible demiurge and to hate him, to deny him worship and to seek a God better than he. I like this challenge. It makes me stop. It makes me think. God is with me and God is with you and he's with all of us in this brokenness and the suffering that the brokenness brings. But let's be really clear, he is not the author of it. So what we do is we join with Jesus in rebuking the enemy and pushing back on this darkness and this despair. This God that both Charles Darwin and David Bentley Hart describe, this lesser God of destruction, of pain and of horror, he's not our God. Okay, so we join with the voices that challenge this and say he's not our God, this God of evil, and the toll it takes on our world, It's not our God. We denounce it. When we hear of abuse and relationships broken by unfaithfulness or selfishness and deceit, when we see starving children, when we see horrifically neglected and abused vulnerable people, oppression of the worst kinds, we recognise that that is not our God in control over these things, but his enemies. And we say this, we say not for long. We blame God for not one ounce of it. And we pray against that darkness and that despair and we pray for the coming day when Jesus is finally going to crush that serpent's head once and for all and he will never ever steal, never ever kill and never ever destroy ever again. Now then, just as last week Paul set some homework, I too have some homework for this week. It'd be great to set aside some time to pray about those ripples that we spoke of in the chaos, chaos Excuse me, chaos of life. Ask God to show you if there are habits in your talking or your behaviour that don't honour your identity as followers of Jesus. We're going to have something. Little ways we might have of speaking about ourselves or about others, or even to others that are hurtful or not honouring. Ways of behaving that aren't completely honest or with integrity. Things that we do without realising that are particularly contributing to those chaotic ripples and in doing so we're hurting ourselves or we're hurting those around us. And as that Holy Spirit reveals something, pray a prayer of surrender and partner with the Holy Spirit in his grace that he would bit by bit form new habits and in doing so expand your kingdom influence. Now then let's pray. Lord God you are our Father and you are the author of all goodness. And we ask that you would come and fill us again with your Holy Spirit. Would you protect us? Would you bless us? Would you fill us again with your love and goodness? And would you just help us in the coming days to bring to mind those tiny habits we have that contribute ripples of chaos? And would you enable us, encourage us to surrender to you and to form new habits? That we might stand against your enemy and bring your kingdom here in this time and place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.